Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be taping a bit again. It's been a few weeks. Yes, it has. It has. And it's also very exciting because... It is almost launch day. I cannot wait. That is so exciting. It's funny because for those of you listening to us, Ashley and I have been working hard. We've we've taped something like 12 episodes already, yes. but we wanted to make sure we had we had a nice little bank of episodes ready before we launched. So here we are taping again and We've been recording for 10 months. Oh my goodness. We started, I think we started January 2nd. So a lot of, and early on, we just, you were picking topics, Mm -hmm. kind of whatever was interesting you. And we just recently decided to go with themes. So I think it's going to be interesting that the audience is going to hear different weather patterns (laughs) that won't necessarily match the weather that they are experiencing when they listen to it. So I think that's kind of cool. So it's so like a time capsule. It, it is. So yeah, just be aware that we talk about things sometimes that are happening as we're taping, but then you may not hear that episode for two or three months. Yes. So, <laughs> but anyway, here we are today, ready mm-hmm. to come back and let's just jump right in. We are actually coming up on the one year anniversary of a sad event. Um, Alex Trebek passed away. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been a year. It, I know. Yeah. I was surprised to think about that too. But in this last year, what's been even more surprising to me is how much news coverage and even controversy has centered around the search for his replacement for Jeopardy. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I don't want to delve into that too deeply, but I did want to ask you, were you a Jeopardy fan? And why do you think that people became so invested in the show that they would get so caught up in this task of naming his successor? Well, I, yes, I was a Jeopardy fan, but mm-hmm. I did not watch it regularly. You know, it's one of those things that you could just tune into and you knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. So I think that's possibly part of it, too. This is this is something that has been around. It was mentioned in the movie The Burbs, which is one of my very favorite Halloween movies <laughs> to, or to watch during October. And in one of the scenes, Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher are watching Jeopardy and they're taking notes and they're keeping score. Wow. That's 1987. Oh, that's crazy to think so, about it that yeah, way. Yeah, so a lot of people, that and Wheel of Fortune too, this mm-hmm. has been a staple of every night. So mm-hmm. it's almost like visiting your grandparents or being with family. It's it's this generation that has grown up with television. It is like a comforting blanket. Mm, that's so interesting. I, I think that's part of it. And, and Alex was the host for mm-hmm. all of those decades. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like he is just somebody that we all loved and and his personality too. Right. You know, and I think the personality of the contestants and it's sometimes you could tell that he was kind of peeved with them and sometimes <laughs> he would get a little saucy and sassy. And then I, I just feel like he was like everybody's grandpa or uncle. He wasn't old enough to be a grandpa, 
for most of that time. So let's call him everybody's favorite uncle. Mm-hmm. I, I actually read the book, and the answer is Alex Trebek oh, with yeah. a book club. We are my school. Uh, some of the teachers we we do like a book club for fun, and so I read that, and it was just. It was so good. Not so much, you know, it wasn't like this literary masterpiece, but it was, you just loved it because he was so human and it was Mm -hmm. just told Mm -hmm. from such a way that made you love him even more than you did from watching the show. But, But that's what came out to me is he had this one persona that I saw on TV when I watched Jeopardy. I was like you, I would just catch it here and there. But in the book, I had no idea how funny he was oh, cool. oh I, I used to watch him on concentration there was a game show network hmm. and he used to, he hosted a lot of stuff before maybe even while he was hosting jeopardy i don't i don't know the whole stats on that but there was a show called concentration where you would look at the board mm-hmm. and you would pick one and then you would pick another one you'd have to remember and just oh match. i know this yes yeah yeah, yeah. i yes. used to watch him on that a lot I did not know he was the host of that well the reason why i ask you this question mm-hmm. is because the focus of this episode is the famous quiz show scandals of the 1950s. Oh, okay. So here I thought we were going to be talking about Jeopardy. <laughs> nope. That was just a hook. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I will ask you though, do you have a lot of background knowledge about the quiz show scandals? Mm, okay. I don't remember. I don't remember if this is was the scandal or if an episode of Monk talked about the scandal but on an episode of monk the people were cheating on this game show i think this was an episode of monk and the way he figured it out was the host was in on the cheating and mm. the way he would hold the question card whichever corner whichever corner he held it in would tell the person that he was cheating with what the answer was oh. so if he heard it, if he held it in the top right the answer was a if he held it in the bottom right it was b c and d and that's how monk figured it out huh that's all I know. Well, that's very clever. Yes. Well, I did not I did not know much about this. So it, it made me very interested actually to dig into it. I remembered there was an old movie. Um, I didn't get to see it, but it was called Quiz Show. And when mm-hmm. I looked it up, I found out it was actually filmed in 1994. Was Liam Neeson in it? It was Ralph how do you say Ray Fiennes thank you yes Yes. he was in it he was one of the stars and then Rob Morrow who was in Northern Exposure oh I like Rob yeah Yeah, I I like him too Rafe too I always think of him as Voldemort now (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes yep but anyway they were in that movie that I never got to see but apparently um, that movie called Quiz Show did cover the most famous scandal what the thing that kind of broke this whole thing wide open and that's what we're going to get to after we do just a little bit of backstory okay let's hear it All right. So according to um, my research, the quiz show frenzy or or the interest in these quiz shows really kind of started with uh, one particular show called the $64,000 question. Yeah. You've heard of it? Yeah. Okay. So no, I don't know $64,000 question. I was confusing it. We just took a break so I could look it up with the $10,000 pyramid. Mm -hmm. That's the show I used to watch. Mm -hmm. That was a good show. Mm Mm-hmm. So the first episode of the $64,000 question aired on CBS on June 5th of 1955. Mm -hmm. And the show was designed to involve these players in a drama that was supposed to keep the audience kind of hooked in suspense from one week to the next because it took 11 right answers and none of them were multiple choice in order to win the full $64,000. Oh, that's why the phrase, it's the $64,000 question. mm -hmm, Exactly. And then... They had it set up, you know, again, to maximize suspense and to also give this impression of everything was just so secure and just um, so precise. So the first four questions were provided by an IBM sorter, which was this cutting edge technology of that day. Mm -hmm. 
And again, they used that machine purposely to kind of create this impression that the questions were picked randomly, although they were not, in fact, picked randomly. They were pre-selected. To win at the next level, the $1,000, $2,000, and $4,000 prizes, the contestants answered questions pulled from a New York manufacturer's trust bank vault that was protected by two guards. So they're oh, giving wow. this impression of these these questions are so secure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you got to the $8,000 and the $16,000 level, then they put the contestants in an isolation booth. Oh, wow. Okay. Again, it was supposed to appear that this was like this soundproof, really protected space. They pumped in music that were supposed to, you know, make it seem even more secure. But in all actuality, it was not that soundproof. And it was supposed to drown out the answers that people were yelling from the audience. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. If the contestant was able to answer the $32,000 question correctly, then they sent that person home for the week and they had to decide do they want to go for the $64,000 question. Wow, this is like, this is like an analog version of who wants to be a millionaire. Hmm. You know, because they were they 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 had to answer the low question mm-hmm. and they had to answer the next question and then they had to decide right. do you want to keep going for it but or do this you want to risk it? Yeah, yeah, do you want to risk it? Do you want to phone a friend or it that's just sounds like maybe a a precursor to that. Well, your comparison holds because it actually said that the contestant had the option to hold on to the money or risk it all to win the full $64,000. And as you were just saying, if a contestant decided to go for the $64,000 question, then that person was permitted to have an advisor. Oh, phone a friend. Phone a friend. Phone a friend. They actually hired five people who worked full time sorting through the 15 to 20,000 letters oh that they received goodness. every week from people hoping to get on the show. Ooh, that'd be this, too stressful for me. It was huge. Their goal was to find ordinary men and women who had some kind of like special knowledge. They they ended up pulling people from all walks of life to be their contestants and these people would win instant fame if they were successful. Really? So just to give a few examples. Okay. The first guest was a fellow named Redmond O'Hanlon, and he was a Staten Island policeman who was an expert in Shakespeare. And so his knowledge of the date of the printing of Shakespeare's first folio was what won him $16,000. Wow. And then because of his overnight fame, he was able to go on a lecture circuit, and he even wrote a book on Shakespeare's puns. So getting on this show kind of launched you. No matter in, what level in, you got mm, to. Oh. Well, I think I think if you won a little bit, if yeah. you progressed, you, okay. you got that celebrity-type status. Okay. Give a couple more examples. One lady named Catherine Kreitzer was a grandma who was a specialized in the Bible. Oh. And so she got invited on the Ed Sullivan Show later just because of this, again, celebrity, and she read from scriptures while she was on there. So it was just kind of a huge thing. Mm -hmm. They said that it was a smash hit from the day of its first debut from its premiere. No program in the short history of television had ever attracted so many viewers so quickly. Yeah. It said they had 47 million in 10 weeks. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. One evening during the height of its popularity, they had 55 million Americans watch the show, which was unbelievable at that time. And to give it some perspective here, they said in the first six months of the show, one of their sponsors was Revlon, and their sales increased by 54%. because Revlon sales did? Yes, because of using this show as their advertising venue. So people wondered, they were they were speculating, why was this so popular? You uh-huh. know, what was the thing? And their ideas were that it 
really hit at that American dream, you oh, know, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of, you know, winning, the, you know, the overnight success and everything you'd wanted. And they said it really appealed because it was that idea of pulling this everyday person and highlighting their gifts and their genius. Oh, and that could be, you think that could be me if mm-hmm. you had something like that. Okay. Exactly. In fact, one writer, this was the quote, that the common man as genius was what he felt was the huge draw of this show. Mm. Well, of course, it spawned many other shows like 21 and Tic Tac Doe. And these quiz shows were so huge that they said at the time that these shows would air, the crime rate and movie theater attendance would actually like decline. They could no they could kidding. track the data and it would go down during the times that these shows were on. The show 21 is actually what we were trying to get to because this is where we're going to hit the scandal that we're talking about Okay, today. so the $64,000 question didn't have a scandal. That was, nope, that was just kind of the setup. Okay. Okay, that was the thing that launched it all. Okay, all so right? the show 20, it's just called 21? 21. 21. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever heard of this one. Yeah, well, you're about to probably learn more than you ever wanted to know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's, um, that's all I have in my brain <laughs> is things you probably would never want to know. That's what lives in here. So come on in. So bring, it, bring it on. Bring it on. Okay. Well, it aired um, in September of 1956 on NBC, and it was sponsored by Geritol. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the idea behind 21 was you would have two players. Each of them were in a soundproof booth, and they were attempting to win by getting 21 points, and they would win those points by answering questions assigned a number value up to 11. So, of course, um, the higher numbered questions were the ones that were harder. Okay. As I said, it started in 1956, and by 1958, it was off the air because of the scandal that we are about to talk about. So two years, that's it? That is it. It all broke loose. (laughs) All right. Okay, so 21 was actually not the first quiz show that was called out for, for cheating. According to a couple of different sources, it said that the, the show where it was actually first found to be to be rigged was a CBS game show called Dotto. And I have more details about that if you're interested, but... Yeah, but based, what, is, what is that? Well, I don't know the show. I okay. mean, but, but what happened, the way that they found the cheating was that one of the contestants who was going up against this other lady who had been winning, found her notebook with all the answers in it. Oh. And he ripped a page out of it. And then he ended up, of course, he he didn't win, and he ended up turning them in. Oh, so that gave her the answers? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. You're going to hear so much more oh, than okay, that. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. So, so Dotto was actually the first place where they they had kind of a whistleblower, but it was it was kind of a slow build, and it, it didn't um, really go anywhere. So this scandal that we're talking about with 21 is the one that blew everything wide open. Okay. Okay. So the one thing, though, is the little scandal, the mini scandal with Dotto did affect some of the ratings for the other quiz shows, and that... It had also propelled some of the contestants who had been involved to start coming forward. So, so that actually did kind of get the ball rolling. This this experience with Dotto kind of set the stage for some of the other. Okay, so the thing that happened with Dotto, then all the other contestants who had been cheating decided to come forward. Well, I think it's more so that once people started hearing that oh, this guy is talking about cheating in this quiz show, uh-huh. it started opening the door for other people to start sharing some experiences. Oh, not but, necessarily saying yeah, I was a cheater but saying, right but like i um, noticed that this was mm-hmm. going okay yeah it but. just kind of opened the door for for people to start kind of putting some things out there gotcha. mm-hmm. so the man we're going to talk about 
is Herb Stemple. He is the one who really went down in history as being the whistleblower who exposed the corruption within the quiz show industry back in the 1950s. And part of the fact that he gets credit for it may be because he was the fella who was highlighted in that 1994 movie we were talking about called The Quiz Show. Mm. It really revolves around his experience with this other gentleman that we'll get to in a minute, the fella who beat him. Let's talk about Herb. All right. What what a cool name, Herb Stemple. Herb Stemple. Yeah. He was a Bronx native who was very smart. He had an IQ of 170. He graduated from the Bronx High School of Science in 1944, mm-hmm. and he wanted to be a teacher. But first, he enlisted in the U.S. Army, mm-hmm. and he ended up spending seven years in the service. And the last few of those were as a counterintelligence agent. Ooh. So he was a very bright fellow. Herb Stemple is a patriot and a spy. Mm-hmm. So he came back, and he went back to college. But as a senior at the city college, he was watching 21, and he figured he would probably be really good at it. Mm-hmm. So he wrote a letter to the producers, and he told them he had, quote, thousands of facts and figures at my fingertips, and he told them he wanted to be a contestant. Okay. So they brought him in, and in this office on Madison Avenue, Herb took a three-and-a-half-hour test that included 363 questions, kind of a trivia test. Everything mm-hmm. from who was the first American soldier killed in World War I in France oh, hey. to what is the width of a goalpost on a football field. Oh, I would not do that. Oh, no. No, I would mm-hmm. not make it on this quiz show. Well, Herb did well. He actually set the record at that time, I think, with getting 251 of them correct. Wow. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is... The producer and co-creator of the show 21 visited Stemple at his own apartment in Forest Hills. By the way, I should give credit. There was a Hollywood Reporter article that I pulled a lot of this information from where they had interviewed and they they dug deeply into Herb's story. So a lot of this is coming from that. I want to make sure I give them credit. But according to Herb, he said that this Dan Enright fellow started to ask me questions. I knew the answers to most of the questions. Some other questions I didn't know the answers to. And he filled me in. Then he leaned back on the couch and said, how would you like to make $25,000 just like that? And Herb tells the interviewer, I immediately understood what he was saying. Obviously, he wasn't about to give me $25,000 for appearing on the program when I could have easily been defeated and gone off with nothing. So he knew that they were recruiting. They, they were saying, if you come on this show, we're giving you $25,000. He knew that he, he said, I quote, I became part of the game show hoax. Wow. Yeah, so he knew it coming I on. I why he did that. He just he just served America and he seemed like such a patriot guy and then to just come home and cheat on something? Well, the he, money? He, yes. He literally said, who wouldn't take it? I mean, think of how much $25,000 would be back in the 1950s. Yeah. He he was very tempted by that money. I guess. Yeah. Oh, Herb. So he was told that he was going to be on 21 the very next night. Mm-hmm. And he said the producer, Dan Enright, went through his closet, pulled out his father-in-law's baggy old suit strategically picked this He's old... making him into a character. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You okay. nailed it. He picked out a frayed blue shirt, a terrible looking tie, according to Is Herb. Is this like when when Susan Boyle came on on a... Uh, uh, what was it? Um, America's Got Talent. Thank you. Yes. Okay. She came out there and she looked just... I always thought... I don't know if it's true or not. I have no clue. Mm-hmm. But I always thought that looks like a complete setup where they're mm-hmm. making her look all unkempt and then she comes out and sings like an angel and it's... 
just to kind of stage it even mm, more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this was definitely staged because he said that, you know, on top of the terrible shirt and tie, he even picked a Timex that ticked like an alarm clock because he acknowledged that the watch would be near a microphone and that it would help to build the suspense. They also said he had to get a marine type haircut and... Stemple commented, the whole aim was to make me look like a nerd, a square, a human computer. Okay. So he was 100%, you know, creating this identity around Herb Stemple, the producer was. Okay. So Herb was on 21, hosted by Jack Berry for six weeks in 1956. Um, I'm going to kind of spoil it. He ended up winning Mm $49,500. Double what he was promised. Well... But he was actually given an advance payment of $18,500, he said, knowing that I was going to be winning more than that because they told him everything in advance. He knew going in that he was, you know, certain games, what he was going to win, how he was going to win, the whole thing. What's the point of this? Money and ratings and and creating a show. Why not just let whoever knew more win? That's authentic mm, it was suspense. so hollywoodized i guess so i just don't get it i just don't get why not let just let her be herb and see how well he does and and then you're just paying all this money to one person why not pay it to the different winners mm-hmm. i don't know i, I think, don't i'm not cut out for quiz games i guess right. <laughs> or or being a producer on a tv show maybe <laughs> no. because they, they probably all have to make decisions like that i'm guessing i don't know but it said to make the charade convincing this producer coached his handpicked winners down to the smallest detail. He would tell them when to stutter, when to mop their brow. We've already talked about, you know, telling them how to dress. Herb said that the co-producer even showed him how to nervously bite his lip and take deep breaths before he answered so he could create suspense that way. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Earlier, you nailed it. You said it was all acting. Here's an actual quote from Herb Stemple. From the time you stepped into the isolation booth, you knew what you had to do. You knew exactly what you had to say. It was like an actor going on stage. In the final analysis, I wasn't even really a game show contestant. I was an actor performing a role as my other opponents were. Wow. So the other opponents knew that they weren't going to win? Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, that's my key word for this. I just keep saying wow <laughs> I know. over and over. Like, how did we not know about this? Wow. I, I, I knew so little about this whole thing. So the other people, they weren't even... Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. Okay. This show, 21, came on on Wednesdays from 1030 to 11 p.m., and it was live in front of a studio audience. Did at- they know? <laughs> they <laughs> did not. On. They they're did t- not. They're telling them when to go, ooh, ah. <laughs> well, okay, they probably had that. <laughs> um, but uh, they were at NBC Studios in Rockefeller Center, and Stemple said that every show he was on was choreographed right down to the banter that he had with the the MC. So I'm sure the MC at least knew that part of it, the host. Mm-hmm. And he said that only one time he departed from the script to make a spontaneous joke about the fate of Henry VIII's wives. So, oh, okay. Yeah. They would even turn the air conditioner off periodically so, so, that, so that he would sweat, so that you could see the contestants sweat. I'm glad you only lasted two years, 21. <laughs> He was given all the answers and questions, both, in advance by Dan Enright, this fellow we keep talking about, the producer and the co-creator of the show. He knew the outcome of every game before he got there, including the one that he was going to ultimately lose to, here comes our second gentleman that's going to be important in the story, a Columbia professor named Charles Van Doren. And when you were talking about Hollywoodizing, 
Is that not even his name? Well, no, that was his name. But he was chosen because he was young, intelligent, handsome, and came from a literary family. So they thought that he would create a sensation because he had kind of this sex appeal. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're dumping poor Herb. Exactly. So let me tell you quickly about Charles, and then we'll come back to the story. Okay. So, so Charles was born in New York City. He was the older son of a Pulitzer Prize winning poet named Mark Van Doren and a novelist mom named Dorothy Van Doren. He was the nephew of a critic and a Pulitzer Prize winning biographer, Carl Van Doren. Cool. So he had graduated. He's got a good family, oh, then. yes, he does. He graduated from the High School of Music and Art of Music and Art in New York. He got his bachelor's in liberal arts from St. John's College in Annapolis. He got a, a master's in astrophysics and a PhD in English both of those at Columbia University, and he was also a student at the University of Cambridge in the in the United Kingdom. So this dude was smart. He's very smart. Yeah, he had, and he had a great background. And a good pedigree right. of smarts. Right. What happened was, as soon as Stemple saw Van Doren, he knew it was over. He said he predicted it. He knew, in his words, that his goose was cooked. Because why, did what, they st- why did they decide to end it with Herb? Because the ratings were going down. Oh, Herb wasn't cute enough, I guess. Mm-hmm. According to, to Herb in this interview, the producer straight up said to him that 21's ratings were going south and we, quote, feel it's time for somebody else to take your place. Wow. Mm-hmm. There's that word again. Oh, my gosh. So they got great ratings, though, because think about this. Herb is now one for several weeks. He's now got celebrity. He's got people watching him. And then they bring in this handsome fellow with this wonderful background. And it was huge ratings. It said that an estimated 50 million people tuned in the night that Stemple and Van Doren met, went up against each other on November 28, 1956. And they had them tie for a couple of games in order to, again, continue build to the yeah, build the tension. And then Stemple was dethroned the following week. Wow. Van Doren went on to win for several more weeks till March 11th of 1957. And he actually made the cover of Time Magazine because of this. So this was huge stuff. Yeah, this is, this is really big. This okay. is very big. Herb complained because on top of having to lose to Van Doren, he felt that it was kind of an extra stab in the back that they made him lose on a question that was so ridiculously simple to him. He was asked to name the winner of the 1955 Oscar for Best Picture. He had to follow their orders and he had to reply on the waterfront. I was going to say, was it on the waterfront his guess? Oh, you're, yeah. Um, but the correct answer was Marty, and he had seen it three times. Marty! So yes. he had to give the wrong answer, even though he so clearly knew it. He, he said that he considered pulling a double cross, but he went ahead and took the dive to Charles Van Doren because Enright, that same fellow we keep talking about, had promised Herb a job as a question consultant for $250 a week on 21, as well as a gig as a permanent panelist on a different game show named High Low. So he thought he was going to go on out, take his $50,000 winnings, and then turn this into a career that would go on forever. Did they renege on the promise? They did. Oh, so you can't do that. No. You cannot do that. You don't want an angry Herb. No. (laughs) Mr. Stimple's coming for you. That's right. So I think it was about a year later before he actually, like, 
took his his steps against it. But but when he realized that Enright was not going to come through with his promises, and not only that, but he got extra angry because here Van Doren goes on to, you know, get all this fame and money after beating him. But he also saw Van Doren's brother, John. See, they liked this, these handsome, clean cut men with the, with the bad, you know, the great backgrounds. But this, this brother, John, went on to appear as a contestant on High Low, and he walked away with $80,000. Whoa. Mm -hmm. So Herb was not a happy man. Mm. He contacted several newspaper reporters and then went to the Manhattan district attorney, and soon the infamous you know, game show scandal was off and running, and it ended up getting Congress involved. Whoa. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. um, but Herb had, Herb had to know he's going to go down with his ship, right? He was a cheater. Well... He did okay because he was the whistleblower. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's keep going here. Now, in the meantime, Charles Van Doren, who ended up winning $128,000 on 21, had turned turned his success into a job as, the, as an NBC cultural reporter. Let me get that right. On the Today Show. And he was also a White House correspondent. See, oh. I mean, like, this became huge for these people they were they rode on the coattails of this for so long yeah yeah, yeah. Whoa, okay so he continued to deny everything it said he yeah. insisted for months that everything was on the up and up you know for from his you know standpoint that he was not involved with it but eventually through the pushing and the prodding and, and the congressional hearings and all this he did finally admit to lying and his tv career was ruined oh man mm -hmm. yeah you can't do that guys it'll come for you now who was he in the movie he was he was Ray Fiennes. Okay, the 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 second guy, the handsome guy, was Ray Fiennes. Yes. Who, who was Rob Morrow? He was, I think, one. I, I didn't actually watch the whole movie, yeah. but I think he was uh, one of the lawyers that like called oh, it out. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. I don't know who played Herb Stemple in the show. We could look it up really quickly if we wanted to. Yeah, check that know. out. John Turturro. Oh, mm -hmm. I remember seeing his name. Yeah, he was. Oh, he looks like him. Look at that. He does look like him. That, that was a that was, that was good, good casting. That was good casting. So it said that for a while after Stemple had come out, of course everybody was denying it, but you know Herb stood by his story that it was rigged. And in the summer of 1958, Albert Friedman, who was a 21 producer who had coached Charles Van Doren, was indicted for perjury. Oh. And so they had a photograph of Friedman in handcuffs at a police station that they showed to other producers on other game shows. And said, see, and, this could be you. Exactly. And it got other people to start admitting how their programs were rigged. So said, it was... Oh, you mean rigged, rigged. <laughs> oh, you mean cheating. Oh. oh, giving them the answers. Oh, oh yeah. see, yeah, we I, did didn't, I didn't understand no. the question. <laughs> Because I'm a game show person, you had to say it in a specific way. Yeah, right. Oh. Clarity, people. Clarity. Clarity. Yeah. Then yes, mm -hmm. yes, I did all that stuff. Okay, you got it. <laughs> it was uh, it was 1959 when Van Doren pleaded guilty to second degree perjury, and that's when he lost his job at NBC. Mm -hmm. And then, as I said, other people involved with other game shows, like the sixty four thousand dollar question and Dotto, were also disgraced. So this kind of brought everybody down. Everybody's going down. Mm -hmm. Right. Herb ends up saying later in this, in, you know, different interviews that he had that, that this had a big impact on him. He was vindicated. He did not, he did not suffer any penalties. Because, but he's also a cheater. Herb, you yeah. were the original cheater. <laughs> ah, okay. 
But he he said I was really down in the dumps. It, oh, affe- really? it affected me for. <laughs> I'm sorry, years. I have no sympathy for I'm, Herb anymore. I'm, I'm picking up on a lack of empathy. <laughs> no, here none from for Ashley. Herb. <laughs> but here's what he said. He said it affected me for many years. When I was recognized, I wasn't Herb Stemple. I was the guy who destroyed Charles Van Doren. Oh. My answer was no. He destroyed himself. He insisted for three years that he was telling the truth and I was lying. But now here's the other thing. It did not turn out really well for her because he said he quickly lost almost all of his prize money to a con artist through a bad investment. Oh, well, hmm, hmm, Herb, hmm. One, look, how, look how that's on the wheel. Karma. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he did go on to work as a legal researcher for the New York City Department of Transportation, and he agreed to participate in the 1992 PBS documentary, The Quiz Show Scandal, okay. which, according to him, he saw the theme as attempting to show how America lost his its innocence. He said, quote, people believed everything they saw on television. After the scandals, they didn't. And who helped that happen? <laughs> I'm sorry. You want him to apologize. I, I do. I feel like I you need an apology, just, apology want, from her. I want Herb to just admit it. <laughs> like, oh, I was a part of this. I'm the person that helped kill the innocence of America. <laughs> not, not, gee, the um, innocence of America died. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> I love it. Okay, I'm going to calm down. So you're probably not going to like this either, Ashley, uh, because he actually earned more money in 1994 or around thereabouts when they were making the quiz show movie because supposedly they paid him $30,000 to serve as a consultant. But according to Herb, he visited the set only two times and he only had one conversation with that actor that played him in the movie. And so Herb Stemple said that he thought the movie was only about 40% true. (laughs) And Herb would know. He would know. (laughs) He would know when something's inaccurate. Okay, so so some final impacts and, and my and eye comments. is twitching, Candy. I know this. Is, I did not know that there was going to be such an emotional reaction <laughs> to this. I was doing good until Herb <laughs> just got away scot free and then made more money. There is no justice in this world. Uh, no. So in I was my, on your side, Herb Stemple, with your name and your past. Okay. <laughs> In 1960, the United States Congress amended, because of all this, Uh the Communications Act of 1934 to prohibit the fixing of quiz shows. As a result of that action, many networks canceled their existing quiz shows (laughs) and replaced them with a higher number of public service programs. (laughs) I also saw, actually, that this was kind of the advent of Westerns because the quiz shows went out and it kind of opened the door for like a new... Genre. Okay. And they think that this is when Westerns became so popular. Westerns. When good was good and bad Bad, was bad. There you go. Black and white. Black and white. Yeah. But anyway, it said that most networks also imposed a winnings and appearances limit on their existing Mm -hmm. and future game shows. But eventually they removed that because of inflation and the rise of all these million dollar jackpot games, which is why quiz shows and game shows kind of started getting popular more you know they started kind of taking back off again like around 1999 or 2000 okay yeah lewis cohen who was the president of cbs cbs at the time defended his innocence he never appeared before the congressional committee but he was forced to resign from cbs and it said that many others connected with the quiz show phenomenon were temporarily blacklisted hmm. so hmm. it did not end well for a lot of people Mm-mm. yeah so there you go that's the basic 
overview. I'm sure that we could probably read whole books about mm-hmm, this, but mm-hmm. but there's a nice general summary of what happened with the quiz show scandals of the 1950. Okay. So are you ready for our armchair psychologist question? Yes, my eyes are already twitching, so let, let's hear it. <laughs> armchair psychologist. You know, there are so many different questions that I could pose related to this, but I was kind of just interested with the most basic one. What are your thoughts about the fact that people can gain such celebrity and so many opportunities just from performing well on a quiz show. I'm thinking of Ken Jennings. Yeah, yeah, I thought of him too, Ken right? Jennings. And then he was ultimate. I can't remember the guy that dethroned him, but I remember Ken I can't Jennings. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to become a producer of Jeopardy, and he was considered to be one of the possible oh. replacements for him. In the book Alex Trebek wrote, uh-huh. the answer is Alex Trebek. Uh-huh. He straight up suggested Ken Jennings. Did he really? He did. I thought he was staying neutral on that topic. He, no, he put Mm. in a plug for Ken Jennings there. He was a fan of Ken. He spoke very kindly of him in his book. He put in a plug for him. Interesting. Yeah. Ken Jennings is also on that show, what is it called, Masterminds? I've not seen it. Okay. Watching quiz shows now, they, they, Jeopardy, I can handle. Mm -hmm. But the, the tension, like who wants to be a millionaire, all of these quiz shows, they just stress me out too much mm-hmm. i can't handle all of that tension building and it's not something i want to i want to get stressed out watching i just want to i just want to hear the trivia and just see the personalities and just the gentle banter i mm-hmm. can't i can't handle that other stuff so if you were given the opportunity to be on a quiz show you would turn it down probably there's yeah. not a scene there's not one that you would say okay i would do this one uh, oh. Jeopardy would probably be the closest, but I don't know a whole scope of trivia. Like, do you want to know all the lyrics to the theme song from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Do they have a question for that? That I can answer for you. But anything with math or science. Geography. Geography. uh, Ish, ish, ish. But no, I'm not. My brain doesn't work in those arenas. I could do Family Feud. Maybe Family Feud. Mm -hmm. Maybe Family Feud. But some. Sometimes on Family Feud, you're watching that stuff, and you know the worse the answer is, the more the family is falsely supportive, because he'll say something absolutely, patio lawn chairs, and they're like, that's a good answer. (laughs) That's the one. And it's like, it's not going to work. Steve Harvey's over there rolling his eyes, like, this is clearly not going to be I liked Ray Combs. That was my Uh, host of Family Feud. I liked him. He was good. Okay, what was the question again? The question was, what about people who gain celebrity simply from performing well on quiz shows? I mean, is that fair? I mean, is that justifiable? I don't know. I don't, if they're honest, wholesome people like Ken Jennings, I'm assuming he's honest and wholesome. We haven't heard any anything to the contrary. But if if he can get if he can get recognition for something that he's good at, I'm supportive of it. Mm-hmm. It's these these yokels like Stimple. That yeah. are upsetting me. Like, just be smart. Be who you are. Mm-hmm. Don't agree to this. Yeah. Because he had to agree to it for this whole thing, this whole snowball to start rolling. And sure, you could say, well, they could have just picked somebody else. But it could have, maybe they wouldn't have. Maybe mm-hmm. if everybody had been honest and said, no, this wouldn't have happened. And we could just have nice quiz shows where real people could get a chance. But no, it has to be a setup so that the Ken Jennings of the world didn't have a chance. Yeah, that's that's such a good point because the whole premise was supposed to be honoring the genius yes, of the everyday yes, man and it's yes. so insulting because they're basically saying there is we no don't genius. we don't think you have genius. Yes. We don't think you have intelligence enough to to get yourself through this experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna control every single aspect of it so it's not even real. Mm-hmm. And then it backfired on them because they could only do it for a certain amount of weeks because the charade was they, the scripts weren't getting the attention, mm-hmm. so they just replaced the character. And, and furthermore, I mean, like to kind of piggyback on that. Oh, you know, this everyday man is not getting enough attention. Let's pick a better looking everyday man right, who right. happens to have like more wealth and education. I mean, mm-hmm. like, and how embarrassed is his family now? Hmm. True. All the Pulitzer Prize winners, and he just embarrassed his whole family. Yeah, that's terrible. But going back to, I guess, thinking about this from a current day stance, I think about all the things that people go- gain celebrity from nowadays. Yeah. I mean, it. there's so many th- influencers, um, you know, videos on YouTube, whatever. There's so many different ways that you can become well-known. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's really nice to recognize somebody's intellect or it is but are they are they going to be well known for the long haul because stemple was well known in that time and that uh, van doren was on the cover of time but you and i did not know who he was mm-hmm. and that wasn't that long ago the 60s right this or mm-hmm. the 50s were not that long ago in right. the scope of everything and the influencers now they're famous now but are they going to be in 50 years mm-hmm. nobody's going to know who they are just the people who lived through it and mm. then they'll be then there's going to be one day where they're like, oh, I haven't thought about that person in a decade. So basically, they're going to have the fleeting fame. Yeah, the 15 and, minutes. And yeah, they'll get the 15 minutes and make some nice money. Yeah, if they invest it well, which mm-hmm. Stemple also didn't do. I'm sorry, Mr. Stemple, if you're still alive, but I'm very disappointed in you. He actually passed away in 2020 at the age of 93. Mm. So he's not been gone very long. That was one of the reasons why this Hollywood Reporter article had come out was because he had just passed away. But he had a nice long life. He did. He did. Despite Ashley's animosity (laughs) toward him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry he's gone because there's... He could have had a chance to redeem himself. Yeah. Well, he and who knows what he did in the next 50 years. He was probably, I haven't done the math, but I, he was probably only in his like early 30s when he was on the show. So no excuse. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no breaks. No, no sympathy. No breaks for the simple man. All right. Well, then as we think about who to cheers, I'm going to guess we're not doing it for her. No. We're going to so. do it to Alex Trebek and Ken Jennings. There we the go. The honest men of the game show world. Cheers to them. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests advertisers or clearly professional psychologists thanks for listening i am recording and i just cleared off the card so we have 30 hours that we can talk wow yeah can you fill up 30 hours <laughs> i think you and i could fill up 30 <laughs> i hours. think we could we've already been talking for you've been here since 12 30 and we haven't even recorded yet